Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast. I'm Tad Michaels. The chief of staff at Joseph Brandt Hospital will be a part of the medical team when the NHL resumes play. What type of safety protocol will he and the players face? Joseph Brandt Hospital increasing its COVID-19 testing capacity by opening a new COVID-19 drive through clinic. Dr. Dale Kalina joins us with the details. And Hamilton is entering stage three today. How do we approach certain settings like bars and gyms? in a safe way the bill kelly podcast starts now today on the bill kelly show on 900 chml joining us for the next few minutes is uh, the chief of staff at joseph brand hospital dr ian Prera joins us ian first of all thank you and i'm sure when you saw that video of people in niagara falls you must have been chagrined when you saw that Oh, yeah, really, uh, Ted, it's great to be with you. Those uh, videos give me great anxiety. You know, I, I feel like we've done such a great job as, uh, as a community in controlling the spread of COVID-19, and then you see something like that, and uh, it makes you worry that uh, we are going to find ourselves in the same situation as, uh, as our neighbors to the south have been. Now, one of the neat things that we found out, uh, we're, we're talking about COVID a lot in this program, as you know, but you are going to be involved and. It seems like such a long time ago we started talking about the NHL, if you will, the playoffs, the regular season, the postseason, the Stanley Cup and all that stuff. But you're going to be involved as one of the NHL medical people involved in the NHL, uh, let's call it the playoff series, starting in Toronto. How cool is it going to be uh, for you to be a part of that? It's going to be super cool. I I, uh, I got to say, I, I miss hockey a lot. I've missed it uh, during COVID, especially that escape. Um, the uh, the team doc of the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs, Dr. Noah Foreman, is really taking the lead uh, for the team in uh, the restart for uh, this season and the playoffs. And my role really is to provide emergency care during the games. And uh, I have to say, I've been so impressed with the way that the NHL has organized and uh, control the situation to minimize the risk to players and to allow the season to continue. It's been a Herculean effort. Well, let's but, talk. Yeah, it's, it's pretty cool, man. Let's talk about that, Ian. I know that there's been pages, and I've read it pages upon pages upon pages, at least 40 pages, I think, from the NHL about the back to play protocol. Uh, kind of off the top of your head, the players will be really obviously highly monitored from the time they leave their hotel till the time they get to the arena and then even when they get there things will be monitored as well kind of tell us what's uh, some of the medical precautions to make the players safe if you will they will be facing yeah and so the medical precautions are important but really it is the formation of this bubble where the players and the essential staff are within a bubble and folks from the outside really don't come in and folks don't come out unless they have been tested. So what that means is not only are they in the hotel in the bubble, but even the transfer from the hotel uh, to the arena and back is uh, very tightly monitored. So we want to minimize the risk of patients being exposed to patients who may have uh, COVID-19. Now, it's a really hard thing to do, Ted, because yep. if you look at other pro sports like the NBA, they're trying to operate a bubble in a community that has a really high population prevalence. But we're lucky that in cities like Toronto and Edmonton, the prevalence of COVID in the community is low enough that it may be possible to do this safely. Now, when you uh, are at the, uh, the arena for the game, physically, where will you be placed when the games are underway? 
Well, we haven't started the exhibition season. That's going to be on uh, July 28th. Right. So I'm not sure where I'm going to be. I presume I will be in sort of my usual place uh, at ice level. But in fact, the emergency physicians and paramedics are not in the bubble because we need to come in and out of the arena. So we'll be physically distant from the players and coaches and from the uh, traveling team medical staff. So uh, that means then that you yourself, because you'll be physically distanced coming in and out and you're not going to be in the bubble for however long it takes, uh, will you undergo medical testing and uh, all that stuff as well, getting your temperature taken when you come in? Absolutely. So in addition to screening, uh, I will be uh, getting COVID testing done. I had one swab done yesterday and getting one done uh, today, actually at our drive through COVID testing uh, spot. <laughs> Which which we can actually talk about uh, now because we're having Dale Kalina join us on the other side. I've heard, uh, Ian, that, uh, you know, for uh, however long it takes, I guess it's 10 seconds or whatever, uh, getting um, uh, a Q-tip of some kind jabbed up your nose is not the most particularly pleasant way to spend a day, but tell us it's not that bad, please. You know, I, I hate to lie to you. Um, <laughs> I, I actually went uh, with my daughter the last time I went for testing, and she found it very amusing. I think she took a video of my face while it was getting done. It doesn't hurt so much, but it's really weird to have something that far up your nose. Apparently, they say that they uh, feels like they're almost up into your brain. Is that a fair assessment? <laughs> that, that's that's pretty much it, you know. And the drive-through aspect of it is kind of cool um, because uh, you know I, I ended up with a COVID test and a large fries and a coke, so uh, <laughs> that was pretty quick. I was waiting for somebody to use that. All right, Ian, let's shift gears. By the way, our guest uh, is the uh, Chief of Staff at Joe Brandt Hospital, Dr. Ian Pereira. Ian, one of the things that uh, that, that I noticed, uh, you were very open uh, on Twitter a while ago when you were talking about uh, the darkest time in your life and you said you were reticent to ask for help and you felt that it was a burden. This uh, clearly has a mental health aspect to it. Uh, kind of share that story because I'm really intrigued with what you went through. Well, you know, when I was uh, in my early 40s, things were sort of going well. I was uh, uh, I had a good job at a chief of staff at an important hospital, and my career was going well. And uh, I went to drop off my kids at uh, their karate class, and I thought I would get in a quick run. And uh, so as I went for a run, a driver went through a red light as I was jogging, and uh, I went uh, in through his windshield and uh, ended up hitting my head, and I had a bunch of injuries. And uh, it was really interesting for me because in a moment, just like that, everything changed in my life because I went from being this very useful person who everyone around them relied upon to get stuff done uh, to being someone who is dependent upon others. And it's a very difficult thing, especially for physicians and healthcare providers, to be in the position where they rely on others. And as I went through that process, you know, where you have to learn to speak properly again and learn how to, how to walk and, you know, dealing with the symptoms, it was really easy for me to slip into this uh, place where I just isolated myself and I didn't ask for help. And it was a really horrible mistake. It, uh, it set me back. It made me very unhappy. It affected everyone around me. And I think for me, what it taught me is that it's okay to ask for help, that it's not weakness, and that in exactly the same way as we as healthcare providers reach out to provide help to those who seek it for us, 
we have to be uh, able to reach out and seek help for ourselves. And, and you know, Ted, I'll tell you, COVID has really uh, shown the importance of this. You know, I vividly remember we're talking about COVID assessments. That first day of the first COVID clinic that we ran uh, at Joseph Rant, which was one of the first in Ontario, and we have this mysterious disease from China. And I remember doing that first shift and putting on my PPE, wondering if I'm going to get sick and wondering if I'm going to take this home to my family and wondering if everything is going to be okay. And uh, COVID was like that, I think, for a lot of us. That uncertainty and the psychological distress of doing that work, but along with that sense of duty to the community, uh, they often compete with one another. And it's very hard to step back and say, I need this for myself and I need help and I'm feeling this way because there's a relentless pressure to provide the service to the community and to help others. You know, healthcare workers, you know, live in this life where we're the ones that help. We're not the ones that need help. And I think, you know, my personal experience with getting injured and having mental health issues and uh, depression and, in fact, you know, even some suicidal thoughts after my accident has really helped me understand that, but it's also helped me lead the people in my organization so that we can uh, recognize better the needs of healthcare providers. You know, it's interesting, Ian, because I was going to bring up the point, uh, how has this helped you in your medical practice? Are you generally now more empathetic with your patients than maybe you would have been before all this? Yeah, I think I take more time. And I think, you know, my, my specialty was one, like emergency medicine uh, was a very fast-paced specialty, really focused on the clinical aspects of care. And I think I sit down much more in the emergency department and I ask if people are okay and I try to have that conversation. But I think also with my docs and with our nursing staff and hospital staff, I try to take the time and ask, you know, are you okay? Um, not in a formal way, but just, you know, looking out for the people around you. And I hope, and, I, and I've seen this at my place, that they look out for me too. You know, well, one of the things that we talk about, Ian, is I generally, when I ask somebody now, and it's it's a phrase that we've used for years and years and years, you see somebody or on the phone, how are you? And it's just kind of a almost a throwaway. And now I tend to use that a little more um, selectively when I ask somebody, how are you? I'm asking them because I'm really asking how they are. And as you say, you don't need a big, long dissertation from somebody, but sometimes just showing them uh, a sympathetic uh, voice or a sympathetic ear goes a long way, does it not? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's normal for everyone to be scared, right? These are scary times. There's so much uncertainty. And along with that is this need for uh, isolation. And so people are away from their psychological and social supports, not just health care workers, but all of us. And, you know, I think in this climate of fear and uncertainty, that's when we have to reach out to one another more and really ask that question, are you okay? And then when you ask, just pause and listen, um, because I think that's what people are craving. There's this parallel pandemic of loneliness that has accompanied the pandemic of COVID-19, uh, and it's been invisible while we're trying to do the work of saving lives and preparing for the, um, the medical aspects of this. But you know, we're beginning to see the echoes of this, and I think it will continue for, for months or years to come. 
So you're thinking that the new normal, uh, whenever it comes, uh, from a medical standpoint, how will that change things when, uh, as, as I say, when we get back to some sort of sense of normalcy from, from a, a medical standpoint, from doctors seeing patients and vice versa? Yeah, so I think, I think, Ted, that this is an opportunity, right? It's an opportunity as we restart clinical activities and restart the nuts and bolts of the care that we need to provide the community. It's an opportunity to redesign the way that we provide care and think about what we've been doing in the past and whether that's what we want to do in the future. I think there's one part of it that, you know, I think everyone is aware of, that we have to prepare for a potential second wave and make sure that uh, we can deliver care in the setting of another wave of COVID. But then the second question is, what does our healthcare system look like now and how can we emerge from this better? How can we provide more care in people's homes? How can we coordinate care better between hospitals, providers, and in the community? How can we reach out to people with mental health and addictions using the toolkit that we developed really, really quickly over the course of COVID to um, counterbalance the fact that we can't have these in-person visits? You know, and the, how do people how do people think about their own care? Because one thing that I found really fascinating is that the southern hemisphere, during the time of COVID, really hasn't seen a spike in flu cases. And part of that is because people are just better at keeping themselves safe and washing their hands and social distancing and staying away when they're sick. So it's a positive spinoff, certainly. From, uh, from this pandemic. Ian, just uh, in the short time that we have, I know uh, we've talked about, uh, for example, the Niagara Falls video that uh, everybody has seen with the people not social distancing. That aside, uh, you must, like most medical people that I've talked to, be very happy that we're in this country as opposed to down in the states where Florida, Arizona, Texas, California uh, have a lot more cases. It's really getting scary down there from people that just won't pay attention to what the medical people tell them. Yeah, and you know, Ted, I think it's more than that, though. I think that politics in the United States are so divisive and polarized that things that should not be political issues, like wearing a mask, become politicized and uh, they become part of that division. So it's very difficult to get a coordinated response. I mean, I, I know I saw that picture of the maid of the mist. Uh, I don't know if you saw it on yep. social media. Yep. And, and it's just stunning to me that, you know, uh, two countries that are, you know, a couple hundred meters apart have such a different approach. And I think that um, that, that spin-off of the political divisiveness in the country has really led to uh, a lack of coordination of the response to COVID-19. Our guest, a uh, fascinating look at his own life and what he'll be doing with the NHL, the Chief of Staff for Joe Brandt, Dr. Ian Pereira. Uh, doctor, uh, on the other side, will be talking to another doctor who I would suggest would have gleefully given you that test just uh, for fun on a weekend. That's Dale Kalina talking about that drive-through test, so we'll let that one go. Thank you very much for your time. Uh, stay safe. Have a great time. Enjoy uh, the NHL you know, playoffs or preseason or whatever when you're down there, I know it's going to be a little bizarre. And the other part of this, Doctor, is if you are a Leaf fan, and I don't know if you are, it's going to be odd sitting in that arena with the Leafs playing and nobody there to cheer them on. Well, I'll be there cheering them on. (laughs) I've been a Leafs fan since I was born. (laughs) I don't know if doctors can do well. You know what? There's nobody there can do what you want. Ian, thank you very much. Have yourself a great weekend. Stay safe. It was a pleasure. Have a great weekend. You too. Bye-bye. 
You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. The uh, fine staff at Joseph Brandt Hospital are now bringing drive-through COVID testing to you. What does that mean? Well, joining us on the program is the Medical Director of Infection Prevention and Control at Joe Brandt, Dr. Dale Kalina. Dale, welcome back to the program. It's been a long time. How are you? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Ted. I'm happy to be back. I'm very well. How are you? Excellent. So uh, first things first, we had Dr. Pereira on the air a, a few minutes ago, and I had suggested that you would have gleefully applied the COVID-19 test, as in the swab up the nose for uh, Dr. Preya, just to see the reaction. Is that a fair statement? You know, it, it <laughs> induces a few tears, and, uh, you know, it, it's not fun for anybody, but uh, who knows? All right, so <laughs> so let's now talk about, as we mentioned, uh, the drive through now starts, and it's not a matter of people just driving up and saying, hi, I'd like a test. There are certain, uh, I don't want to say rules, but there is a protocol involved. Kind of take us through what is involved if somebody does want to get that test. You're right. So there, it isn't just a drive-up test. It is a scheduled appointment. And there are two main ways to be able to book that appointment. You can either call into the main hospital line uh, and go to the COVID assessment center. And there you can tell us what you can uh, click through to whether you've got symptoms or not. But you can also go onto our website, and that's probably the easiest way to book an appointment. So go to the website. You can schedule an appointment. Uh, I think we're scheduling about uh, a day in advance right now. Um, for people who don't have any symptoms, but the two ways are still available for everybody. Now, when they make the appointment, uh, you know, I'm wondering, uh, is um, would there be a concern that a lot of people would just want to get the test? Maybe not. Well, they, they may think that they have the symptoms. It may not be the symptoms of COVID-19, but that there may be kind of a big rush on people who want to get the test. Yeah, so when you do schedule a test, it is important to recognize that you should stay away from other people just in case it is positive. If you've got symptoms and if you're concerned, that is a reason to isolate yourself from other people. Now, if you do have symptoms, it is important to also say that, whether you're uh, booking on the phone line or on the website, um, because it is a bit of a faster appointment for that. Um, and uh, and if you do experience symptoms, that might be a, a better reason to actually come into the assessment center to be seen by some of our medical professionals. But the drive-through is also an option as well. So let's talk about the the uh, some of the symptoms that uh, you know. And again, sometimes uh, people can, as I've mentioned on this program, uh, confuse uh, what they suffer as far as seasonal allergies versus what uh, the COVID symptoms are. But kind of take us through, uh, especially what the symptoms would be, which might create some questions for people about getting a test. Yeah, you're very right. And it's been an awful allergy season, uh, speaking personally anyway. Uh, But uh, the nice thing is that there really aren't many other respiratory viruses going around right now. Uh, So it is largely COVID versus allergies often. So the symptoms that we look out for for COVID primarily are fevers, shortness of breath, uh, and also um, feeling really fatigued. So feeling really tired. Uh, and flu-like. And those are the main symptoms that we look for. And then we've seen as well a number of other symptoms like 
uh, no uh, ability to smell and no ability to taste and, and interesting other things like that with COVID. But the main things are still not being able to breathe, fevers, and feeling very tired. You know, the uh, loss of smell and the loss of taste, and I've heard that it sometimes lingers after people recover from COVID-19. That, to me, is a frightening, like this whole disease is uh, scary and we've been through what a dust in the lungs and everything else, but the loss of taste and the loss of smell is something that uh, that I think people, unless they have it, don't realize just how upsetting that can be. You're right, and that's how it's been described to me by uh, some of my patients as well, is that it really is quite noticeable, uh, this lack of taste and lack of smell, which not everybody experiences, uh, but apparently it's, uh, and from what I can see in studies as well, it does linger for quite some time after the rest of the symptoms have resolved. So it highlights that we're interested to watch the long-term effects of the virus that are beyond just uh, no symptoms and and mortality, really. By the way, we should also mention when people do uh, go online and register to get themselves tested for the COVID-19, uh, the entrance is off of uh, North Shore Boulevard, correct? Not, not, that's, not Lakeshore. That's correct. So the entrance to the assessment center for the drive-through is from North Shore Boulevard, as opposed to the main front entrance of the hospital, which is on Lakeshore. And how fast will people get their results when they do get the test? That's a great question. So while we do benchmark a five-day turnaround time, what we've actually been seeing uh, on our own internal investigation is that people are getting the results usually in around 48 hours or less. All right. Now, this gets underway actually as of when? So we actually went live on Wednesday. So the online booking the telephone booking, and also the drive through are all completely accessible to everybody already. All right. We'll see how this thing unfolds and uh, and how uh, people are reacting to it, and hopefully we'll be able to uh, maybe alleviate some fears as well. Dr. Dale Colina, the Medical Director of Infection Prevention and Control at Joseph Brandt Hospital. Look forward to having a conversation down the road again when uh, this COVID thing shakes down a little bit more. Maybe talk about something else as opposed to COVID because I can tell you we're all really tired of this, doctor, and I can't imagine you as well. I I hear you. You know, we just keep going and uh, always happy to chat. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. Officially now... The city of Hamilton in stage three of reopening, which includes things like bars, gyms, and playgrounds. And that's all well and good, but how do you mitigate the risk of COVID-19 transmission? Well, Dr. Zan Chagla is a St. Joe's infectious disease physician, and he joins us uh, to talk about that. Good morning, and I know it's been a busy time for you. Yeah, I, uh, I can't say it's been a quiet few months, but uh, <laughs> but glad we're getting to this point for sure. Is it two months or was it this? It's actually few months, few months. Uh, yeah, <laughs> few months. Yeah, together, right? you know, isn't it interesting though, doctor, that when we start to talk about this, and you know, back when and I was talking to a, to somebody, one of the things I saw was a, a sign on Facebook said that this New Year's Eve is going to be special because I'm going to. Be, the person said I'm going to be staying up on New Year's Eve, not to see the New Year in, but to make sure that 2020 leaves us. Who would have thought, doctor? Who would have thought? New Year's Eve of this past year would result in what we've gone through now. 
Yeah, you know, the, the funny thing is, the irony is, on, on, it was New Year's Eve last year, I get a, an email from an international kind of list server that goes through kind of what's going on in the world, and yeah, there's minor things, but there was just this quick note on December 31st saying there's a, a cluster of pneumonia cases in uh, in Wuhan, China, without a, a, um, uh, an etiology. And, you know, we see those and say, okay, maybe it's influenza, it's something you haven't diagnosed, it's fine. And yeah, sitting here six months later, and oh yeah, that was actually a real thing, right? So now let's talk uh, about uh, stage three. Hamilton is in it. Uh, everybody is really excited about doing that. Uh, one of the things that I'm curious about for myself is... Um, I've been contacted by the gym that I go to, basically saying, mm-hmm. "Okay, we're we're reopening. Um, you have to make an appointment off the top." But talk about some of the uh, things that people can do to stay healthy if they decide to go back to their gym. Yeah, so I mean, the whole theme of Phase Three is we're opening stuff up. It doesn't mean that everything is back to normal by any means. We still are living with COVID, and so. The big things for for phase three is is preventing transmission indoors as much as possible, and and some of that you mentioned is just controlling the number of people in a particular place so that such that everyone can distance appropriately. Um, it's always important again for everything is if you're having the minorest of the minor symptoms that you exclude yourself from going to public settings and get tested as much as possible. Um, and then if you're feeling well and able to go to the gym, that's fine. Um, I would still try to wear a mask in the gym and kind of the second you step within it, try to just get your workout done uh, as effectively as possible. Um, you know, if you need to use the treadmill and there's already, it's very hard to distance or people are using the treadmill, be, be adjustable too. you know, the part of um, uh, maintaining these population controls within indoor settings means that we can't do everything that we wanted to do normally. Uh, and so yeah, you have to be a bit flexible. Um, try to, you know, just get into the gym, get out of the gym, do your changing and everything else at home, do your showering at home, that type of thing. Um, but I think it's the other part is, is just wearing a mask while indoors. And, and, you know, the gym is not... Um, not uh, devoid of COVID by any means, um, uh, you know, for mild to moderate exertion, it's it's fine to be wearing the mask. And we, we're seeing a lot of the sports leagues uh, where, where people are wearing a mask as part of their workouts who are kind of high-end athletes. Um, and, um, and, uh, and yeah, that, that's basically it. We, you know, there is a case study of, of uh, some people in uh, South Korea with associated with some fitness dance classes that did have transmission of the COVID virus. So it's not necessarily that they're completely the safest setting. There's been transmitted transmission noted in the setting, but I think if you're masking, you're spacing, you're being thoughtful, you're cleaning and washing your hands appropriately, you probably buy most of the benefit there from, from preventing transmission. Now, the other part of this though, doctor, is when the people go to the gym, of course they do sweat. You know, sometimes, sometimes droplets, I'm trying to be gentle here, sometimes <laughs> droplets leave people's mouths. That yeah. is not a very flattering, you know where I'm going on this, and I know that yeah, we're yeah. talking about how far the droplets go and what, what have you. Um, I I really can't see people, even myself, going to, uh, you know, like the ab machine or doing, you know, the biceps or whatever and wearing a mask because that would be a little uncomfortable. Medically, should we be doing that or not? 
I, I don't think there's a reason not to. Again, masks are, aren't meant to stop oxygen from coming in or carbon dioxide coming out. They're meant to filter it appropriately. They're just uh, a, a barrier that's in the way for all of those droplets to, to, to pass out of us in that sense and protect others. So, you know, there's, there's certainly a lot of different mask models available. You can pick one that's a bit more comfortable and breathable. But it's important, as you mentioned, if you're really, you know grunting and and, uh, and really the droplets are flying out of your mouth that's relatively high risk right like if you're seeing that heavy breathing and grunting that's relatively high risk so that's a, a setting where masks are pretty appropriate and again if you um uh, are feeling a bit short of breath while wearing the mask particularly with heavy exertion I would make the argument to make the trade-off to minimize the exertion rather than taking off the mask in that sense Doctor, uh, our guest is uh, St. Joe's infectious disease physician, Dr. Zane Chagla, talking about uh, the stage three and, and what we can expect to uh, to look at. Uh, doctor, looking long range, because everybody, we always like to talk about the, if you will, finger quote here, new normal. Uh, when we get back to whatever normalcy our lives is, do you see what we've just talked about, for example, from a gym standpoint, being a part of our lives for the next little while? And I'm not talking weeks, I'm talking months. Yeah, I mean, I think so, right? Like, we all want to open up society. We all want to get back to some semblance of normal. We want all want people to work and be able to be active and go to restaurants and do all the things that, that gave them pleasure in the in the past. The problem is, is COVID is going to be with us without some sort of biologic control. And, and even we know, we're not getting rid of this in Canada anytime soon. Um, uh, and so, you know, without these controls in place, you're really setting yourself up for, uh, an episode of transmission or transmission within the community. So, you know, until things get better, until we actually have some sort of biologic intervention or a vaccine to deal with COVID, we're going to have to deal with, you know, I, I don't think there's any issue with opening things up appropriately and thoughtfully, but we're going to have to deal with some controls in terms of opening them up. And, and unfortunately, that's just the, the name of the game right now. We'd rather keep everyone safe, uh, keep our healthcare system preserved, keep you know our vulnerable people safe, um, but still allow for people to have some of those freedoms that give them joy and, and happiness and, and, uh, and, and good health, um, uh, just doing it as, as protected as possible. You know, doctor, I'm I'm wondering. You know, you uh, talk about uh, the vaccine, which I know everybody's working feverishly on, and uh, all the experts say that doesn't mean even if they announce now that they have a vaccine, they've got to go through clinical trials and what have you. Um, I'm wondering, is it going to be a case, in your opinion, the same people who say that they don't get a flu shot for whatever reason are probably the ones who said we won't be getting a COVID-19 vaccine because uh, we think that this disease is, is overblown. I know from a medical standpoint, that's probably something that you don't want to deal with. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's with, I mean, this is not unique to vaccines. With every intervention you bring, I mean, we're seeing it with masking too, but even, you know, uh, people with cardiac disease, who have respiratory disease, you know, they, they will, um, you know, create their own science or, or consider the science inappropriate, consider vaccination a, an infringement of personal rights and a, a danger. And, 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 you know, the the argument and and, and the, the the method is just to educate to 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 try to reach out to try to alleviate some concerns but with every population with a vaccine or an intervention you're going to have 
a majority that are willing and ready population, a uh, minority that are people that are full deniers, and you just have to kind of accept that fact. Uh, and then there's probably a population where um, they're, they're, you know, malleable and they can go one way or another based on that. Uh, and that's the population where, you know, education, outreach, positive behavior change, really avoiding that, that stigmatization or discrimination usually helps bringing them over to the side of, of doing stuff for the greater public good. But um, it's, it's always hard. And, and, you know, doing things, again, for the greater public good rather than personal protection uh, is, a, is a concept that, that's a bit higher level. And, and it, it really, most people do embrace it, but some people are very much, if it's not going to give me any direct benefit, why would I put something in my body? And, and unfortunately, other than education, reaching out to them, it's one of these things we have to accept as part of our vaccination campaigns. Now, one of the things we should talk about as well with, uh, you know, Hamilton in stage three, and uh, we have seen, and we hope this is not the case, as we've seen, uh, Doctor, the uh, the videos of what's happening down in the states in Florida and Texas and Arizona and California where people go to uh, bars and basically just act, act like my term, act like mm-hmm. yobs. Um, when people are going to a bar in the Hamilton area now that we're in stage three, uh, can you give some advice to them as to what to do or not to do, of course, making sure that we have the proviso that alcohol is not a factor in any of these situations? Right. And that, that's, that is a tricky part of this is alcohol does affect behavior. But, you know, I, I think the, the new expectation for bars is that mingling, that going to the bar to get a free, you know, to, to, to order your own drink or self-serve drinks. Um, you know, that is probably not going to be coming back anytime soon. Going to a bar should be in people's mind the same experience as going to a restaurant that you're sitting at the table you're ordering alcohol from your server, you're, you're staying with the people at that table, and then you're going home after you're done, basically. And, and it is not a, the same as, you know, we're going to a bar on a Friday night to go, you know, mingle with a few different people to, to see who's there and chit-chat with them. It is really just uh, um, that, uh, that, you know, you're, you're using this almost as a restaurant, basically, to have a few drinks and enjoy them with, people that are very close to you or people that you want to be there with as long as you're distancing, you know, uh, appropriately. Uh, and then you're leaving afterwards in that sense. Doctor, and There's still no, no issues with going to the patio. It's still beautiful weather. There's still no issues with being in the patio, particularly people who think they have much more risk or feel a bit uncomfortable with staying indoors. There's no reason why not to do, to have those drinks outdoors rather than indoors. Doctor, you talk about beautiful weather as, uh, as we get to the end of, uh, of the summertime. Uh, the other part of this, of course, playgrounds are now, uh, open. They're outdoors and they're ventilated. And I run through Gage Park all the time. And I got to tell you, doctor, there were times where I, I just wanted to go to one of those, uh, I'm not even sure what they're called, the jungle gyms or whatever, and basically do pull-ups uh, like I did in the past, but the yellow tape was there. I want you to know, doctor, now that the playgrounds are open, I will not be knocking over a five-year-old kid so I can go and do pull-ups. <laughs> however, however, uh, that is a great place to be outdoors for kids to uh, become kids, right? 
No, one hundred percent. And realistically, I think playgrounds got lumped into all of this. You know, playground. We opened pools early. I think playgrounds don't don't uh, aren't that much higher of a risk. I mean, we're talking in the summertime of of putting kids back in the classroom about you know some of the, these measures for children where they're going to be a bit more contained uh, together. You know, a playground where it's outdoor ventilated. We know UV light is relatively sterilizing. Um, parents can teach their kids how to practice relatively good hand hygiene. I think they're they're great settings for kids to blow off their steam. And and to be fair, I think they should be open probably across the province as I think they're relatively low risk. But, you know, the kids in Hamilton and Niagara who have the privilege of doing it this weekend, feel free to. The only thing I'll say to parents is if the playground you're going to is mad packed, think of another place to go. That's it. Like, uh, you know, just, just be wary that a lot of people are coming out of the closet to, to do the things that they missed out on or take their kids to experiences that they missed out on. Um, but, you, you, you know, again, we're going to have to be patient in this new phase that if things are busy, there's lots of people around, those aren't necessarily the settings you want to be stuck in. Um, and, and maybe it's time to figure out another place to go or think of another time to go in that stuff. And uh, heads up for the parents that if you see a guy in Gage Park uh, who uh, uh, is not quite the runner that he used to be, thinks he runs like a gazelle, runs like a hippo, and is coming toward the equipment, don't have the kids be scared. I'm really friendly. I just want to do some exercises. So, Dr. Zane Chagla from St. Joe's Infectious Disease Physician, a, a look at what people can expect now that we're in Stage 3. Thank you very much for the time. Much appreciated. No problem. All the best. That is a look at what uh, we are now doing in Hamilton in Stage 3. We say the bars and the gyms and the playgrounds, and um, yeah, it's true. I you know run through Gage Park, and I saw the yellow tape all the time. And, oh, can't go there. Can't go there. Stay away. Stay away. So uh, the warm weather continues, and hopefully people will be uh, getting a chance to do that. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML. The Bill Kelly Show podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Tad Michaels. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an opportunity. Make sure that you rate it and review it.